Hello, and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. We do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your spirit is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his Spirit who lives in you. Just pray for my brother in Christ, Richard, now your servant. You love him, he loves you. Just uh, anoint him, give him your words to say to us. Let us have ears to hear. Let us see what it is you have in store for us this morning. Let us be, let's have hearts that are malleable and want to be uh, transformed by your spirit this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, and good morning. Good to see everyone, see everybody in the North Building as well, people on, online. As I left church um, last week, someone asked what I would be preaching on today. I said it was condemnation, and they said, but there isn't any. So I finished, Jim, if the band like to come back up. Um, no, don't worry, I've got a little bit more to offer. I'll try and finish before the alarms go off on our phones this afternoon. Could be some dragons around on St. George's Day or something. We're in part two of a series on sanctification, about being sacred, about being holy, being set apart. And Tina read from a holy Bible. That's God's word. God's word set apart from all other books. Have you tried to buy a Bible recently? If somebody has just joined the Alpha course and they said, which is the best one? I think we'd all, we may all have our favorite version of it, Jim with his app there flipping through. Um, but you say, well, go down to the shop, go online. And they go to the shop and they say, yeah, well, what version do you want? I said, well, I don't know, what, what have you got? Well, there's the, um, the NIV, you've got the authorised, we've got the King James, we've got the new King James. Who is King James? They've got the way, uh, the message, there's a Cockney rhyming slang Bible, that's very popular. Um, there's a revised one, there's a believer's Bible, I can't wait to find the unbeliever's Bible, that ought to come out. Um, Marks and Spencers do one, you can take it back if you don't like it. So... You've got all these to choose from, and then they say, okay, well, I, I, I don't know, but, well, now, do you want it in paperback or hardback? Leather band or as an app? Uh, uh, like, now, what color would you like? Oh, green, blue, yellow, as long as it's red. Oh, good, keep with me, as long as it's red. North Building, you were slightly ahead on that one, well done. Paul presents the idea of sanctification in Romans uh, 6 through to 8, and with chapter 8, 
being the crowning piece, whichever type of Bible that you use. And Romans 6 reveals our vital union with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ, we've been buried with Christ, and raised with Christ. And Jim did a fabulous job last week looking at Romans 7, which reminds us of our ongoing struggle with sin. And now Romans 8 shows us our ongoing victory in the Holy Spirit. And many people have called Romans 8 the greatest chapter in the Bible. It's been said that if the Bible is a ring, then the book of Romans is the diamond. And chapter 8 is the apex on that cut of the diamond. Because the focus of Romans 8 is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to enable us to live a Christian life. The chapter begins in verse 1, no surprise there, with no condemnation. Ends in verse 39, no separation. Nothing could be more positive than this. It's an entire chapter about the spiritual victory and the eternal security that we have in Jesus Christ. We have the whole of the Christian life in this one chapter. We read of justification, sanctification, glorification. And as we walk through our section of Romans 8 today, we see the believer's union with Christ, liberation in Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, regeneration. It's a theological treasure chest. So rich, yet so practical, as the writer Paul, he puts his arms around the entirety of our Christian life and our daily Christian living. And the first half of Romans 8 is all about the Holy Spirit's work in our life as a Christian. And this is the only way a believer can live out the life to which God has called him. No one can live the Christian life in their own strength. The only person who ever could was Jesus Christ himself. And the only way that you and I can live the Christian life is by the power of God's Holy Spirit, which he's put within us in order to reproduce the life of Christ for others to see. See, we're under no pressure there, are we? When people see us, God wants them to see Jesus. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times in the first 27 verses of Romans 8. Holy Spirit's described as oh, the, the spirit of life, walking according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, both the Father and the Son have sent the spirit. The spirit raised Jesus from the dead and this spirit dwells in you to recreate the life of Christ. This chapter is all about the Holy Spirit's impact on the life of the believer. And as we focus on verses 1 to 11, we see clearly that sanctification, that's us being set apart as holy, is the work of all three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Godhead are mentioned in the opening verses, and the entire Trinity is involved in our Christian life. And when we read Verse 1, we find that therefore there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. The problem is we can get stuck after six words. Therefore there is now no condemnation. We all become like Victor Meldrew. No condemnation, I don't believe it. Because it is hard to believe. Condemnation, it's that expression of a very strong disapproval. 
For example, there was widespread condemnation of the Russian invasion in Ukraine. How can we not be condemned? How can God not disapprove of us? How do I believe that? Well, the Bible is clear about our past. In Hebrews 8:12, it says, the Lord says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now today, there's a danger of people finding out all sorts of things from your domestic rubbish, so it's a good idea to shred any financial documents. And that's a good illustration of what God does. He places our sins into the deepest sea and chooses to forget them. It's a bit like shredding, never to be seen again. To the woman taken in adultery, the Lord looked around at those who had accused her and quietly said, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And the interesting thing was that no one stepped forward. They all shuffled away like the cowards that they were. And then the Lord said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That expression, in Christ Jesus, a form of speech often found in the pages of the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters. He refers to if any man be in Christ, who also were in Christ. And Jesus calls us out of the world to be a distinct and separate people. We are publicly to appear as his disciples, his witnesses, We're to put on Christ, live with Christ, and exhibit the spirit and the conversation of Jesus. We're united to him by saving grace as shown in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. In other words, we have a physical being, as in Adam, and a spiritual one in Christ. And condemnation, katakrima, is a long, strong Greek word that means a death sentence. It means damnation. It means eternal death. If you believe in Jesus, there is no damnation sentence hanging over your head. The noose has been removed from your neck, and there is now no eternal death sentence for you. No condemnation actually means a positive justification. We are right in God's eyes. And this is a way of saying that you are justified, made righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you first read the way these verses, read their way through these verses in Romans and see how they're worded, it's quite easy to become a bit dismayed or even distraught. If we're really honest with ourselves, we may feel and sense there's a gap between where we are right now with the Lord in our present level of spiritual development and how far God would really like to take us in this realm. And many Christians, when they first read these kinds of verses, they realize they're simply too far away from the type of holiness, and they throw in the towel. They never even attempt to give God a chance to start this sanctification process through them in this life. So please, don't condemn yourself. The status of no condemnation is reserved exclusively for those who are in Christ Jesus. There are only two classifications of people in the world. Those who are not under condemnation because they are in Christ, and everyone else who is under condemnation because they are not in Christ. 
There's no gray area. To be in Christ Jesus means that you have a union and a communion with Christ. The Holy Spirit is in you, but has also placed you into the Lord Jesus Christ. And you now have a vital, personal relationship with Christ. And notice that Paul writes, there is now no condemnation. Now is a word that denotes time. It clearly implies that before now, there was condemnation. Before we said that we would follow Jesus, we were under the condemnation and the wrath of God. We entered into this new state of no condemnation when we believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. If we were never under condemnation, then this verse would mean nothing to us. But we were previously under the wrath, the death sentence of God. But now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why it's the greatest news that could ever be known to man. It is amazing grace. This justification exclusively in the Son. Outside of the Son is condemnation. Inside the Son, no condemnation. We've been liberated by the Holy Spirit. And as Paul begins verse 2, he uses the word for, which introduces an explanation of what was just said in verse 1. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And this word for law doesn't refer to, to the Mosaic law or the Ten Commandments. It refers to a regulating principle. It, it's like the law of gravity, a governing power. The spirit of life refers to the Holy Spirit who is life and gives life. The Holy Spirit of God enlivens, empowers, enables us to live the Christian life. There is this new principle, a new governing force and influence that is the Holy Spirit. And he gives us new life that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and of death in order to move forward in the Christian life. We have to be released from the death grip that the law of sin and death once had upon our entire life. The moment we believed in Christ, God said, no condemnation. And at that very same moment, he also set us free from that law of sin and death. In Christ Jesus is the common theme in verses 1 and 2. A whole new life in Christ began the moment that you were justified. We do not live perfectly, but we do live in stark contrast to the way we used to live. The Spirit gives us a new identity based on union with Christ and enables us to desire what is good. We need to be a people who are learning to live according to the Spirit, stepping into the freedom that Jesus has given us. But what does it look like to step out of the old life and into the new one, this life of joy, this life of peace? It's a life that's completely changed because there is now no condemnation. It's not saying there aren't grounds for condemnation. Oh, we mess up. We let God down. It's not saying that there weren't grounds for condemnation before we gave our lives to Jesus. We were condemned when we were without God, without hope, 
without Jesus in our world. And it's not saying that there won't be condemnation, because if we slip up and sin, then we can expect condemnation. If we choose to go faster than the speed limit, if we take goods without paying or abuse people, there will be condemnation from the law of the land. People will let you know if you've cut them up at the roundabout. If you push into a queue in the supermarket, they will tut and they will tell all their friends about you. Jim reminded us brilliantly about how sin is always lurking around us. And when we listen to the voice of the accuser con ourselves into believing that we're only sinning a little bit, then the Spirit of God speaks too, gently corrects us and helps us to choose the right path. Isaiah 30, 21, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Any guilty feelings are pacified through Christ's blood. He will not condemn you for we are no longer enemies to his father for we are his sons and daughters. We're no longer far off, we're close to God and receive the peace of God which passes all understanding and keeps our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of Christ. Our Christian lives mean we must walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Opposition of the things of the flesh and agreement with the Holy Spirit must be within us. The Spirit of God dwells in those who believe. We were walking under his direction. We are led by the Spirit. By choosing Jesus and listening to the Holy Spirit, we can be helped to make some good decisions. Anybody still wearing a WWJD band? Do you remember these? The What Would Jesus Do do band? Yeah. Um, What would Jesus do? As you reach out to take something that's not yours, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? As you're about to say the wrong thing, what would Jesus do? As you start to gossip, what would Jesus do? As you decide to do things your way and not God's way, just ask yourself, what would Jesus do? As you face up to a huge problem and have the chance to turn away from it, what did Jesus do? He died for our sake. Jesus listened to and trusted in God. We're under God's influence when we're praying and singing, hearing, worshipping, when we're performing duties, watching the TV, responding to conflict. It's his influence we should be following. The bottom line is this sanctification in the Lord is done by the power of the Holy Spirit operating through the knowledge that the word will give you. In other words, it's the word and the spirit working together that will cause this sanctification process to begin and occur in your life. It really is the Holy Spirit who will be the one to cause this type of transformation to occur in your personality. However, the Holy Spirit will not work without the word. Why? Because the word of God will give you the knowledge that you will need in order to be able to work with the Holy Spirit in the process. 
You have to know exactly what it is that God wants to change about you before the Holy Spirit will move to cause some of these changes to start to take place in, you, in your personality. You have to learn from the Bible what some of the specific qualities are that God will want to impart into your personality. The Bible, B-I-B-L-E, best instructions before life ends. It's there to be read. Not green, not, oh no, I've done that bit. Remember that we carry the fruit of the Spirit, love and peace and joy and gentleness and so forth. And how did we learn that? We learnt it from the Bible. The Bible will tell you exactly what those nine fruits are. And once you know exactly what they are, then you can start to work with the Holy Spirit to get more of those fruits manifested and imparted into your personality. Nine a day, not five a day. But if you do not learn exactly what these specific fruits are to begin with by reading about them in the Bible, then the Holy Spirit may have nothing to work with. And he thus may not do much with you in this realm. Your lack of self-control will remain out of control. As we heard in the first two scripture verses, we are now sanctified in Christ Jesus. And that we now receive sanctification along with redemption and righteousness through the blood that Jesus has personally shed for all of us on the cross. To think that God the Father has given us a full redemption and a full pardon for all our sins. And then to add to this package the process of being able to be set apart through the power of his Holy Spirit to become the people that he wants us to become in him, it's enough to make you fall off your seats if you stop and think about in these three words. You're getting redemption, righteousness, and holiness. And to think all of this is coming direct from the one and only almighty God of the entire universe if you are willing to accept his free gift of eternal salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrificial death on the cross. It really doesn't get any better than this, that God and Jesus would go to this type of extreme length to bring us back to themselves and then allow us to become partakers in the process where God the Father can start to mold, to shape, transform us into the express image of his son, Jesus Christ. It's a reality, not just a name being a Christian. It's a blessed reality, freed from condemnation, no longer in a state of guilt and danger. You are blessed. And it's a holy reality, walking with the Holy Spirit and not with the flesh. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Before God sent his son to earth, the world had died. And Jesus came to expressly breathe new life into the world. His promise was to have life in more abundance than ever before. So why is it that people think that becoming a Christian means that it's the end of having a good time? Why is it when we invite somebody to Waypoint, invariably somebody says, oh, we never knew church would be like that. We saw happy and contented, I hope, we saw happy and contented people. What message are we giving out to those people beyond our walls? 
Our friends may not understand how and why we worship God. They may not know which expression they prefer or need when they arrive in the car park. They might even see us as peculiar. We do some strange things as Christians. One thing we do is we collect an offering. Every week we give some of our money back to God. We're prompted by the Holy Spirit to do this. And our contributions to the work of the church here or through mission are giving back some of our wealth to God. The Holy Spirit will prompt us to be generous in our giving. And the world out there thinks that that's odd. That's peculiar. They may not understand Christianity. They may not understand Jesus. But when they do, there is rejoicing in heaven. Like the prodigal son returning to his father's home, there's a great celebration when someone turns to Christ and then life gets better. That's not to say that all illnesses, worries, redundancies, etc. disappear. It's just that the Christian knows that these came to pass and not to stay. But the outsider looks on with a solemn face and does not understand Christians. When the prodigal returned, his brother was in the field watching what was going on. He had a long face because he was an elder. Sorry, elder brother. (laughs) He must have recognized that his prodigal brother was receiving something that he himself longed for. Yet the prodigal deserved condemnation. He had demanded his inheritance, if you know the story. He'd left home, probably against all advice, He embraced a lifestyle that was licentious in the extreme, squandering his money on prostitutes. He broke the Jewish law, working with pigs, which were seen as unclean animals. And he let his family down. His father could well have condemned him. But then we see the repentant spirit of the son, the turning round, the return, the acknowledgement of sin, and suddenly that humble Spirit, and notice the Father waiting, longing, in love with his children, whatever they do. And we see the Father running to greet his wayward child. We've got an image there of God running to us. No recriminations, no holding of bad feelings because God only hates the sin and not the sinner. To be away from God the Father is to be lost. It's to be dead in sin. But when we return, like the prodigal, we become alive to God and are found in him. The past is consigned to the rubbish bin, along with the rags of sin we wore when we came to Christ. And life gets better. God provides us with all we need, for Jesus said, as we've heard already in John, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And what sort of life is this new life? What sort of life did people like Celia Baker enjoy that has now admitted her to heaven? A life of justification rather than one of being condemned. A life of regeneration, being born again of the Spirit, Those who were once spiritually dead are now given a new lease of life. A life of adoption. We were once in an alien state, but now God calls all his sons and heirs. 
Galatians 4, 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. We get a life everlasting. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is the great source, the author of life. Jesus came to reveal it. He came to offer it. He came to procure it. He came to bestow it. He came to bestow it more abundantly. Christ has come and brought life near to us, but we can only obtain it by coming near to him. He must be received. And in receiving him, we receive life. And this life must be perpetuated, and we must stick close to Christ all our days. And by his spirit and grace, we are kept on the path to eternal life. Those who reject the gospel necessarily exclude themselves from this life and must therefore be victims of eternal death. And our ministry to those we meet is to give them a sight of the way and the truth and the life through Jesus. This is the work that we have been given to do. It's the work which God calls us to do, the work which we must do to tell others of his Son. We need to let Christ regenerate us, not repair or amend it. It must be made entirely new. And when we live by the Spirit, we get happiness and safety as the children of God. And isn't it a thrill to see our children, young people, taking part in the ongoing life of the church here? It's happening just the other side of that wall. They are infused. They are full of it. The team might be exhausted, but they are exhilarated as well. I think it was Trev, not going to get up again, Trev. I think you reminded us getting dressed in the armour of God at the end of last week's service, if you were here or watching online. Uh, Getting dressed in the armour of God each day. And that includes shoes. I was reminded of our service that the children do with with Verity, where we all had to take off our shoes. Do you remember taking off your shoe? Were you here when when you you did that? This this one's open-toed. The good thing when you look at a shoe... It's got lots of reminders on it. Jesus came to heal. Save souls. Oh. We've got the lace, L-A-C-E. Look at Christ's example. Now, when you're putting on your shoes tomorrow or this afternoon whenever, look at Christ's example. And there's an African proverb that says, where God leads, I will follow as you lace up, up your shoes. Of course, some of you would be saying, uh, well, I haven't got any shoelaces. Um, I use Velcro. Well, stick with Christ. (laughs) Some people wearing sandals, don't buckle under the worldly pressures. If you're wearing sandals with socks, flip-flops, really? (laughs) There is no condemnation. Well, there may be a little bit. (laughs) But any condemnation comes from people, not from God. Oh, it will come, make no mistake. Condemnation can even come from within your guilty conscience. We remember the past, but we never return to it or dwell in its sins, nor do we allow others to take us back amongst the the pig's will. We've returned to the Father's home, and it's there that we rejoice in the marvelous grace of God and exult in his wonderful love and mercy, filled by his Holy Spirit 
and keeping no record of wrongs. They've been shredded. And you and I must live moment by moment in the power of the Holy Spirit. We must walk according to the Spirit. And here are five things to practically describe how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. First, be intentional. We must be aware of our own weaknesses and purposefully live by considering what Christ wants us to do to follow him. What would Jesus do? We must be aware of our need for the power of the Holy Spirit. That must be intentional. Throughout the day, as we are faced with challenges that stretch us, we will either walk according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. We must intentionally choose to walk according to the power of the Holy Spirit and rely upon his power. Whether we pray aloud with words or silently within our heart, we must acknowledge our need and ask for his strength. We cannot pull this off in our own strength, so we must be intentional. It's our choice. Second, it must be continual. Always be walking according to the Spirit. At home, at work, at play, there is no time out or time off from walking according to the power of the Holy Spirit. From the moment we wake up throughout the day until we asleep in our bed, we need to commit to continuously walk according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we need to be reminded of it. Set your watch or phone to bleep every hour, every hour that you're awake, certainly, as a reminder to be continually with the Holy Spirit. When you wake up, stay in bed. We like that one. Just stay in bed for a few moments and connect with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before stepping out on your day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it beautifully by saying, we are silent early in the morning because God should have the first word. And we are silent before going to bed because the last word belongs to God. Third, be humble. We must give way to the Spirit, yielding, submitting, surrendering our lives to the person of the Holy Spirit. We cannot try to do life, God's work, in our own power. We must admit and confess our constant need for the Spirit's help. So be humble. Fourth, be obedient. God's holy law requires obedience. We must keep and obey the law from our heart, meaning willingly, joyfully, voluntarily, not with a sense of coercion or against our will, the Spirit of God enables us to obey the law of God from the heart. And fifth, be prayerful. We need to ask God, both in our personal prayer life and consciously throughout the day, to give us the power of His Spirit to live in a way that glorifies Him and honors the Lord Jesus Christ. We must pray that we would react to people in a God-honoring way that we would make the right choices and keep the right priorities. And this requires prayer, participation. It's a responsibility. We must be praying for God to enable us to walk according to the power of the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8 lays a foundation for our understanding of how to live the Christian life. We're not living the Christian life with a sense of guilt. Rather, we are motivated by grace. The Spirit of God 
has set us free from the law of sin and death. The spirit is now the dominant ruling force in our lives. That's a reality. You don't have to pray for that. It's already happened. And the spirit of God is working out within us to work for God's own pleasure. Jesus was sent by the Father not only to give us the pardon of sin, but also to break the stranglehold that sin once had as it governed how we lived. We're now enabled to live a brand new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. When God says no condemnation, it is irrevocable, irreversible. It's declared by God to be true forever. And the message of the Bible is that God, through Jesus, has forgiven us all our wrongdoings. This truth, this being set apart, frees us to live the Christian life. We're not on a performance treadmill trying to gain God's eternal acceptance. It's already a done deal. Rather than trying to live our lives to earn God's favor, the grace of this status of no condemnation by the Father should motivate us to live the Christian life. What amazing pardon God has given us in Christ Jesus. We're a spirit-filled people, ready to do God's work in whatever form we can manage. We can rest assured that as those who are in Christ Jesus, we have no condemnation before God. We are a forgiven people. And as the band return, just look at your open hand. And as a way of remembering it's through the cross that our sins are forgiven, just trace the shape of the cross on your own palm. God has forgiven me. God loves me. You may want to say that with me. God has forgiven me. God loves me. God has forgiven me. God loves me. And if you're comfortable with this and you're sat next to somebody you know, you may want to draw on their hand and say that to them, that God has forgiven you. God loves you. Romans 8, 11 finishes with, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So we bring all that we are to Jesus. All our sins, our failure to love. Thank you that you died for us so that we might be forgiven and start a new life in the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for the reassurance that we are welcome and safe in your hands forever. Amen.